Salesler, and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks, I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 51st episode, I talk to Ai Ching Go, co-founder of PictoChart, a software to build beautiful infographics and videos with the goal of becoming a business storytelling platform. After Ai Ching had a burnout working at P&G, she decided to start her own company together with her husband, at the time a web design agency, with the purpose of eliminating her Monday blues. This is where her journey began to build a company where people come first. One day, about 10 years ago, dreaming about the power of visual storytelling, she started working on PictoChart, software that allows you to easily create infographics. Today, she's still working on PictoChart and Ai Ching and her team are in it for the long haul, building a sustainable company that constantly takes daring steps to improve the quality of life of everyone involved. We talk about why and how PictoChart introduced a four-day work week, how it feels to be working fully remotely from a tropical island, what it means to build a people-centric company, and the immense power of deep work. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hey Ching, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Hey Arun, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Hey, you're co-founder of uh, Pick2Chart. Uh, for those who don't know yet, uh, what do you guys exactly do? Sure. So Pick2Chart, we started out like 10 years ago as an infographic maker. And over time, we kind of evolved and we became more of a business storytelling platform. So it just isn't about infographics, but all kinds of materials that you have, an idea that you have that you're trying to visualize now. And we're trying to cover all of that. Um, and also beginning of this year, we launched a new product also in storytelling, uh, more to do with videos. So the ability to just take um, a talking head video and then repurpose that and have that in much smaller branded clips, which also helps the storytelling. We were essentially looking for a new way for people to be able to convey the stories more effectively. And yeah, and we decided to also venture into videos. Uh, cool. So so it's basically storytelling, visual storytelling. And, and now right. it's not just like static graphics. It's also uh, moving stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And also because videos really convey a lot more emotions. We've found out about that and uh, it's becoming you know it's obviously booming thanks to the the whole like situation and pandemic that we're in but uh, we in general just see that you know the future of storytelling will also include videos yeah yeah mm-hmm. I know it's not a huge step I suppose from a, an infographic yeah. to a moving infographic which is a video yeah. and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, who 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 is PictoChart for exactly? Like who uses it, uh, and what what sort of use cases? Yeah, so that that's an interesting question. I'll I'll you know be upfront about this. The most amount of like free signups that we have, and we have hundreds of thousands of them every single month. Uh, they're primarily in the education. So you have universities, colleges, all the way down to like K twelve and schools uh, mm-hmm. using you know quite a lot. But that isn't how we're making money. They're just lots of like free users. On the professional side of things, uh, and the people whom we're seeing much better conversion rates from, they kind of range all the way from, you have HR departments who have, you know, tons of metrics that they need to visualize within their organization, uh, learning and development that may be using us as part of like presentations or 
um, reports and dashboards that they're creating as well. And we have consultants, which is another like quite a big group. They range from smaller shops like that are around like 10, you know, to 20 people, uh, all the way up to the, the bigger or the big force um, of the world. So consultancies are also quite a big um, market for us. And basically they're people who deal with information that they don't necessarily want to see it in a business intelligence format, but they kind of have to report that, you know, to the higher ups. Um, lots and lots of people are, you know, in those type of uh, project managers, etc. They're using us in that particular uh, fashion right now. Yeah. But what I'm a bit surprised about is that you mentioned uh, HR professionals and consultants before uh, marketing departments. Why yeah. is that? Are, are they bigger than, than marketing users? And, and, and if so, why exactly? Yeah, so the marketing users are like, we started off thinking, and that was our like hypothesis years ago, that marketing would be the biggest. In fact, the reason why we started out with infographics was actually for marketing. Like the whole reason I, I um, talk about that, it's all about inbound marketing and, you know, trying to use um, infographics as lead generation. But now we kind of got to the point where, you know, as the product kind of stabilizes, finds its own product market fit, like the biggest market product market fit we're having with isn't so much with marketing. There are still marketers obviously using us for the same uh, reasons, like to try to present data pitch or proposals, you know, to their internally as well as externally. But then um, we're just seeing that there is a lot more, yeah, fit within, you know, within uh, the yeah, the groups that I've mentioned. And these could also be project managers, not just, yeah, not just like their titles do not have to be consultants yeah. necessarily. Okay. Just, <laughs> yeah, in general, the work that they do is that they deal with a lot of recommendations and they have to try to convince somebody with data or with diagrams or with visuals um, about their idea or their proposal. That's the type of people, the job to be done basically that we're helping them with. Yeah, got it. Cool, yeah. It are you a, a jobs to be done fan? You just mentioned it uh, briefly. Yeah, um, we we use multiple things to be honest at the company. So we've tried personas, we've tried like you know buyer profiles, uh, which are more demographic and more based mm -hmm. on market orientation. Um, we've also used jobs to be done. I kind of think that depending on the you know the particular use, uh, it's quite helpful for different reasons, like for the. Um, marketing team occasionally jobs to be done does not help them or the sales team because then they don't quite know who to go after. Um, but if we went with something that's a bit more segmented, so I, I kind of tell my team this, that they're like two sides of the same coin. Um, and, you know, when we kind of match that like demographic data together, with the jobs to be done, we have a more complete picture. But in general, um, the team does know like, yeah, briefly, these are the separate, you know, groups uh, that we have, but we're not a diehard must use jobs to be done framework type of yeah, company. Yeah, oh, I, I like what you said uh, in the sense that uh, when people present jobs to be done, it's often mm -hmm. as a replacement for buyer personas. Uh, but I also yeah. believe that it's not necessarily a replacement. It's like more complementary. Uh, yeah. It's not because you don't understand the, the demographics in your target audience and have some personas of how they, they generally look or ideally look. Um, mm -hmm. that you can't also on the other on the ends like look at the standpoint of what is it actually in terms of progress that we're we're helping yeah. people with uh, what 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 progress do they want to make and what forces to act on that and all that. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. But you you mentioned that um, 
Uh, Big2Chart uh, initially was built for marketing departments. Um, how, how did that come about? Were you working in a marketing department yourself at that point? And did you see some kind of need that was unfulfilled or how did it, yeah. how did it come about? What was Spark? Yeah, the, the start of it's kind of, you know, like very unmemorable when I think back, but now it, it feels like it's a very big time. <laughs> I think most founders will resonate with that. But um, so what happened was uh, my husband and I, who's also my co-founder, we, um, we had a web, design consultancy. So essentially we built, you know, websites and e-commerce websites for our clients. And this was 10 years ago before, you know, kind of Shopify became really famous and all that. So then I was like in charge of the business and marketing side, trying to look for more clients. And I was reading up a lot more about, you know, HubSpot at that point coined the word um, inbound marketing. And all I knew about my marketing background then was just push marketing. Everything was about, you know, advertising and your click-through rates and all that. And, um, reading about that really made me very interested. And together with the whole inbound marketing and how we all need to be doing more content that is useful and helpful and valuable, um, we felt that it was going to be a very big shift towards something more visual as well. And infographics was a great way like to do that. So I kind of started out um, looking into infographics, like learning how to build one myself. I learned Adobe and um, I felt quite miserably. It was taking me too long. So I just kind of pitched the idea to my co-founder. I went like, do you think we should maybe just build our own, you know, infographic maker, then probably people like us out there. So that was the founding moment. Um, you know, like, like I said, it felt very unmemorable back then. <laughs> Today yeah. it feels, it's a big moment. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a, a small moment that brought up, I yeah. thought about a lot of stuff. It's like, a, like yeah. the quote, uh, one, one small step for man kind of. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. uh, back then, Purely, purely for marketing. We weren't even thinking about all of the use cases that you know people are actually using us for um, mm -hmm. back then. Like today, it's it's morphed into something else. It's more of a, a way to visualize ideas. Almost uh, people use us, and it's it's not just infographics. Like they, you know, have it in timelines and tables and like comparisons, all all forms and shapes and sizes that will help you tell a, a story or a concept visually. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You're based in, uh, is it Singapore or is it Malaysia? Malaysia, right? Malaysia, Malaysia right? Yeah, Malaysia. Yeah. In KL or? Yeah. Oh, that's the other interesting part. So um, we're not based in KL either. So my team no. is actually no. remote, um, but our original HQ, when before we went remote, we were all based in Penang. It's an island up north, quite yeah. close to Thailand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. It's a, it's oh, a very wow. nice place. It is. Uh, it is. It is. <laughs> uh, and and I also noticed your um, your your co your co-founder CTO and hu and husband uh, I suppose um, yes. is is Italian. Uh, yeah. How did that exactly happen? Like where did you meet each other? Yeah, we we met each other in uh, university. So I was studying in the UK. Um, I went traveling uh -huh. a lot. One of my travel adventures, I met him. Um, so we were both extremely young um, back then. <laughs> and um, and then I came back to, you know, basically to start my career and he kind of followed. So um, my husband has actually, I mean, apart from the business, he's been in Malaysia for more than 10 years now. Like I, sometimes I think back and I, I feel like it's so unreal. Um, but we, mm -hmm. prior to the pandemic, we used to go to Europe like, at least twice every year um, and spend, you know, summer there, Christmas there and, and all that, but uh, we're unable to do so now. No. <laughs> you cannot go to Italy right now? Or? 
No, it's not. Um, the travel restrictions in Malaysia are pretty dire. Like there's still oh, a lockdown. Okay. No interstate travel, nothing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah. within within uh, Europe right now, we're we're kind of traveling. So uh, I know. I mean, we hear about that all the time. Like, and I see my you know my um, parents-in-law and their you know, having not not parties like dinners and get-togethers, and we're like, oh my goodness, like that's so far away from our reality. But yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. No, oh, how is it actually like running a company, uh, husband and wife? Uh, is that is that an easy thing? Does it just go go easily for you guys, or are there sometimes some struggles? Um, I think in the earlier stages there were struggles both internally and externally i mean like Mm -hmm. uh yeah being in a relationship is something that's very different from being in a working relationship and in a working relationship there is a form of hierarchy there is um performance you know like kpis and all that kind of stuff um so the early years i really i felt like we both had to relearn like the boundaries of you know our like relationship and all that um all that kind of stuff but that was like i said many many years ago we've since then not just started a company with um we've also started a family together like we have um we have a daughter now together and um uh, like yeah i would say that in the earlier stages that was a lot tougher you just have to learn which buttons start to push and mm-hmm. also the earlier years um which we've decided since then not to take any money but when we were raising funds i remember getting all kinds of snarky comments from investors and they would be like it's a husband and wife team. They can't be serious about the business. And I was like, why not? <laughs> I don't get it. Like why, you know, why is it that if you co-founded the company together with your spouse, then you're not actually serious about the business. Like that part got me quite a bit. Um, I, I just remember uh, hearing that. and That wasn't very nice <laughs> to be honest, but then it's okay because we, we've since then decided that, you know, we're going to keep uh, bootstrapping and doing what we love doing. Yeah. And, and you're doing it successfully. So yeah, that's uh that's sad for the for the VCs, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, did you actually? I, I I saw that you you studied psychology and then you uh, actually got into private equity for a little and then into marketing at at a huge marketing firm like the PNG. Um, yeah. Did you ever feel uh, the need to start a company at that moment, or is that something that that grew on you and and your husband later on? Yeah, that's yeah, that's the other story. Like, I mean, you you asked me about like how the whole idea of pick the track came about, um, and it was Mm -hmm. very organic. It's not like since twelve, I've always wanted you know to build infographics like as a living. Like, it wasn't like that. Although I have a fascination towards storytelling, uh, and I. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious about the human minds. Otherwise, I wouldn't study psychology. In fact, I was actually on path and I picked a degree that would take me more and more towards clinical psychology um, and practice as a medical professional, actually. And um, so what kind of happened was while I was at university, I was somehow, I don't know, called happenstance or coincidence, I was hanging out with a ton of like, and you would know because you're from Belgium, like uh, a lot of Isaac folks and they were... yeah. My my, my yeah. wife was my wife was big in Isaac actually. She's she's from Brazil, yeah. and she was oh. uh, she she yeah. led sales in a, in a, a chapter in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was also part of it, and my uh, my friends were all like in you know into investment banking. Uh, they were all studying things like economics and all that. And I started to 
And, and actually, at the same time, in my first year, I grew a disinterest in psychology itself because I realized that everything was reduced to like statistical significance and it felt ridiculous. Like to try to, you know, the word psychology comes from the, the word psyche, which means soul. Mm-hmm. And it's like soul reduced to mere like statistical significance by, you know, two degrees or something that made me like it left a very bad taste in my mouth in the first year. So I was getting more disinterested in my study because I felt that 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 wasn't, that was like, it just broke the entire illusion that I had about yeah. Um, yeah. fantasy that I had about psychology, basically. So then I was getting closer with all of my ISAC friends and um, a lot of them were, you know, like in going into banks and applying to like really large organizations. In fact, um, a lot of them are still close friends of mine and they're all at like World Bank, etc. Like nobody has a job lesser than that. Um, and what uh, what happened was then I, I joined the bank first because I was under their influence for a while. And afterwards, uh, and I was like quickly in the bank, I was like, okay, numbers is so not my thing. Like I'm not, you know, as much I, I love businesses and all that kind of stuff, like uh, doing private equity and researching just pure numbers, like wasn't my cup of tea. So then, uh, left to join PNG. I was very fortunate I got a place there because my background was just nowhere. <laughs> like I, I wasn't good at this, neither that. But then um, they took me in. And while I was there, while I kind of enjoyed what I was doing and um, I loved the exposure and experience and all that, but I suffered from a very massive burnout. And I was very, very young at this point. Um, I actually went to the hospital for what I went through and uh, did a surgery where most people would have recovered in two weeks. I took three months and I was bedridden wow. for three months. And I'm only in my early 20s at that time. So what happened was when I came out from this entire episode, in fact, was when I was in bed, I kept looking for like kind of the meaning of life, but I searched for the meaning of life very early on in my life just because of what happened to me. And um, I then decided that work was going to be a big part of my life and I have to ensure that I'm going to be really happy there. So... Um, I, I, we didn't even consider like, you know, looking for other companies because of the, yeah, the massive burnout I was going through. So I said, we're going to start a company that was going to be more like, you know, people centric. Back then I called it the No Mondays Blues because that was the only thing I knew how to like think about the whole concept. But yeah. today I understand that, you know, these are just labeled as people centric organizations um, since then. So we've been going down on that road. I think if we failed in many other things, that's the one thing I felt that we stayed true to. And like my husband and I never swerved from that direction because of, you know, because of what happened to me, like um, very early on in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so you actually, you actually started a company because you wanted to create your own company culture and, and create yeah. your own rules and, and make it all about people instead of uh, results. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's also why like years later, like I said, I wouldn't have thought about all of these things um, earlier on. It just felt so natural for us that the company would be about storytelling. Um, infographics is just mm-hmm. a means to convey your stories, right? But essentially what a lot of people, when they come to PictoTrend and they want to do, they're looking for the visuals, like the way to visualize their numbers or, you know, their concept or to sell something in particular to um, their their vendors or internally, and we started realizing that it's it's uh, you know it's storytelling, and not many people have that you know um, that innate ability to be able to visualize exactly what they want to say. And we started out to shift and reposition ourselves so that we can help people more and more with the yeah with storytelling basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I identified I think a few steps there in your career. So 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 
initially you well you were studying psychology because you were interested in human mind then you notice yeah. that it's it's more about statistics of the human mind mm -hmm. or something which is not as as interesting then you yeah. uh, met the guys at isaac which uh, if not mistaken is, is all about personal development uh yeah. which which probably appealed to you a lot and then you based on that you mm -hmm. went in banking which was then not at all what you were looking to do uh yeah. And then, and then an interesting shift uh, happens because basically, with a with a background in psychology and, and a bit of finance, perhaps you went into marketing. Uh, yeah. Why, why did you do that? You think? Yeah. Um, so I was looking into like you know what can I do with like the broad skill set that I have. I love working with people. I still do. Mm -hmm. Um, I love, I still love understanding, you know, why, what makes people behave the way they behave. Marketing is basically the understanding of why do people buy? Why do people, you know, what makes them attracted to a particular product? What makes it, you know, what kind of makes it sell? What makes it take, what makes it like resonate? And, mm -hmm. um, and I felt that PNG was probably one of the, at that time, uh, and still are, <laughs> um, like the world's leading, you know, uh, FMCG and they, they were innovating a lot and they, had a lot of um I, I thought you know and I still did actually learn a lot from the way they did and conducted customer research um as well as how they derived like campaigns and how they managed to understand you know people uh, so that was kind of like I was thinking okay if I don't practice and become an actual scientist or a medical professional at um, psychology what other choices do I have and um, that was when I realized well I could either put it into organizational development which was very specific and into HR or I could try to, you know, find, um, and psychology and marketing actually has some overlaps. So between the kind mm -hmm. of two, I went for marketing, not knowing that actually that was a good one because it can, one day if I became an entrepreneur, which I did, <laughs> that actually yeah. that knowledge would help me a ton. And um, what, you know, I, the, the learnings, the connections that I've made while I was there still helped me a lot um, until now. So. Yeah, yeah. To learn a lot there then you put it into building your own marketing agency uh, yeah just a, a very simple web design consultancy not not yeah. marketing just building websites basically yeah yeah that's that's actually how i think many entrepreneurs started um yeah that's, that's what when, when i was young i was also building websites i saw myself yeah. building an agency and then you know that's where a yeah. lot of dreams started for us when we were around the same age because that just yeah. started popping up and everybody needed websites and it was so cool to create stuff there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I see that in a lot of interviews with uh, fellow startup. I know. And then we, we talk about that to the, and then fast forward today, you have like all this like web flow and you know, the rest of them and you're like, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's um, crazy. Actually uh, it's crazy. Uh, the CTO of Webflow is also on the podcast. So yeah, I did. I, I actually went through his um his podcast and I, I loved it. So <laughs> we, we love Webflow. We like love how they innovated and built the product out. Yeah. It's it's really amazing. And uh yeah. actually we're we're talking to an agency right now who uh, who use Figma. They built stuff mm -hmm. in there. Then there's this connector, I forgot the name now for a moment. Uh but it's mm -hmm. it almost prepares the code ready for webflow. You put it into webflow and <laughs> the website's there. Oh uh, wow. Wow. Yeah. But Webflow is, it's incredible. Sorry, I'm like, you know, um, fangirling a bit, but it's really, um, really amazing. Like we checked it out, although we, we're currently on WordPress um, as a yeah. CMS and we have our own custom designs, but I, I think if it wasn't so much for the fact that we just need to, you know, like we need a, 
a proper CMS almost to manage all for like blog posts and everything. Maybe, uh, and we should have probably gone for something like a Webflow. Yeah. 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 Uh, is, is there actually, when thinking about um, other companies, are there any you uh, look up to? Any that, that you mirror yourself to a little or? Uh, that you think yeah. like, well, they're doing this and that really well, and and, and that's something yeah. you took into pick the chart. Yeah, um, I think more from so like, um, well, Jason Freud and you know from Basecamp is definitely there. The reason why we look up to them was more for their very unconventional like product management and the way they built out their teams and think about like building products. But there were many things that resonated with us, so. We initially started off with Agile, Scrum, et cetera. And then, you know, after ShapeUp came up, like we considered it and like the team reading it and everything started incorporating elements of it. So now we're like a hybrid of, I don't know what, but <laughs> I think a lot of yeah. it came, yeah, came from that. And they kind of don't really have like, you know, product managers, they're not very strict. They do lots of um, customer discovery and, you know, and then just build and ship things. And I, I think my, uh, my co-founder husband also spoke with like their QA team because they're they're like 60 plus people with only one QA person and we're like how does that work <laughs> so then we you know we got in touch so from I think a product management and development perspective we got a lot a lot of inspiration out of the way they they worked and were just so unconventional um and I think for for culture and everything the other one that we kind of you know look up to and we love what they're doing and we're I felt like we're very similar at a wavelength um, level as Wildbit. So Wildbit, uh, probably known as well, they're founded by a uh, husband and wife team. They've been around for like 20 years. They've mm-hmm. defended a very, very competitive niche in, uh, you know, I mean, we're also the customers in like Postmark and um, and everything. And they're, uh, we, we love what they do because they just, you know, did the same thing. Like they were in it for the long haul. Um, so the two companies that I've mentioned so far, you would notice that the common similarity among them is that they're in it for the long haul. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And therefore, the, the organization is built is extremely different than most common organizations. Like the way, um, you know, like the, for Wildbit, it was all about people first. And for Basecamp, it's just, I, I think this intense um, focus on, uh, you know, like product simplification and like just going against the grain if it doesn't, you know, makes sense. Even the blog itself says it, right? Like you try to discern what is signal versus noise. And I felt that their their philosophy of building has just inspired us a lot, especially because we're bootstrapped and also in it for the long haul. Yeah. What, what, what are some of the things that you think uh, sets companies apart that are in it for the long haul versus companies that, let's say, go to VC track? Yeah, well, one... so. This thing, we've also kind of like baked it into our purpose more or less. And I, I realized that in the past, I didn't make this very clear to my own company and I owed them that explanation. And it was like, how much does a company want to grow? And um, so we now have like three purpose pillars. So the like, of course, the product itself has to serve um, a purpose and, you know, fill in a gap that uh, multiple people maybe are trying to like solve for that one particular problem. But for us, that would be to communicate impactful stories um, to you know to the world, and then we also ensure that um, we're also people first. So we do not want to grow at the rate that would kill um, people or their kind of work-life balance. Um, and because of that, last year we kind of made a decision, or or we were testing it out, and then this year we made a decision to go on a four-day work week. 
uh, and yet to do that while running a profitable company that's growing sustainably. So not that it's, uh, I think sustainable growth is probably the, the key. So if mm-hmm. I reverse that and then let's take a look at a venture funded company, um, the purpose could still be there. And of course, every organization uh, exists to solve a particular problem. But I, well, for sure, the, the profitable part is sometimes negligible to some of the VC funded companies. And the people first part is pretty hard as well. Like you would, um, you would have other type of cultures that would exist out of it, maybe something a bit closer to Netflix, which uh, I'm, I was reading a couple of their books and I felt that it's not wrong, you know, at the rate that we're growing at, they needed some form of a system in order to ensure that they were only attracting and retaining the best people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there I, I think these things like differ quite a bit between um, a VC type of company that needs rocket fuel to keep growing uh, compared to a company that may be bootstrapping in it for the long haul. Yeah, the 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 the, the four day work week thing is is yeah. interesting. I saw Wildbit is also doing that. Uh, what yeah. ki- what kind of challenges did that pose on you guys when you uh, introduced the four day work week? If anything, I felt like more internal resistance um, to the idea itself. Like people just being really scared of the concept and thinking, well, how am I gonna finish my work in eighty percent of the time? Yeah. <laughs> so like. Like I'm, I'm serious. Like people really brought up that concern, and um, and we're like, why don't we just give it a try? So what we started doing was eliminating the meetings, and I call it trimming the fat. Like just take mm-hmm. off the things that don't really help, you know, to contribute to anything. So we even um, we made a kind of a stance to uh, not continue like performance management. We used to have that like on every quarter, like a very lightweight, you know, performance management type of thing that consumed a lot of our time. So then. We said just help people to keep giving feedback uh, both ways and, you know, on the one-on-ones and scrap like the whole formal process and then eliminate as many meetings as possible. Like uh, the company used to have more like product meetings, you know, then you have like functional meetings, then you have company meetings, like, uh, and we just at every level did our best to cut them all out (laughs) Uh, to to like to trim it to as lean as possible and then also make sure that people had focus time and we protected their, you know, deep work time. And after we went on, like, I would say by the second quarter, the complaints were getting lesser and lesser and now people are fully enjoying it. And I know that they can't imagine life without the four-day work week, <laughs> including <No>. myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine, yeah. So basically, yeah. Uh, cutting meetings and becoming more productive, having more focus time, protecting that. That's, that's yeah. what you did. Yeah, and reducing management overheads because the other part of it is that the manager's time, instead of like spending it on, you know, like writing or researching or actually like doing strategic or deep work, you're focusing it instead on managing people. So we also cut off all of those tasks um, from the leaders and managers as much as possible, of course, okay. leaving the minimum. So yeah, that works. So, so for, for managers, they don't uh, do, how can I say? uh the, the the normal work anymore it's really management now only right. yeah it's um we have very little like oversight like there there are still one-on-ones um that we you know you still need to have like some conversations check in with the people like coach them and all that but that the frequency of that is reduced for me some of them are down to like um once every two weeks which is a lot better than what i used to have um and like then we don't have all the you know formal performance like evaluations and 
all that kind of stuff. That that's what takes up time. And we also mm-hmm. do things like leave approvals. It's self-approved. So just be responsible human beings. Go and plan your leave. Inform your team, and that's it. Personal development. There is no approval needed. So wherever we could, we just removed all forms of approvals so that the managers don't have to do those things. Um, and that gave more trust, I think, to the company as well as autonomy and it eliminated work for the managers, which is great. <laughs> yeah, so, I like it. Yeah. Well, what is, what is it that you are, are lately working on and that keeps you up at night a little perhaps? Oh yeah, I, well, we're working on a lot of things that are keeping me up at night. <laughs> um, we're about to make a change to our business model after seven years of not touching it. So that's definitely keeping me up at night but we felt that it was required like we needed to innovate not just from the product but also that and just this week we've actually from PictoChart we've just released um, a beta editor that's going to be more and more and you see less and less of PictoChart saying and calling itself an infographic you know maker and will be more and more moving towards storytelling and that's like our first step of our like you know uh, near-term roadmap uh, and then for PictoStory as well, that's just a lot going. Like we're, um, we recently launched a, a deal and we're getting lots of feedback and early adopters. And we, you know, there's, there's just a lot of things for us to work on. <laughs> so I, I felt like my number one thing that's keeping me up at night is like, it's really focused, like trying to figure out like what, what you know, I can do. And I, um, I'm only one person, but still trying to, um, yeah, build two companies. But it's a very exciting time. It's just that we've not, you know, built like new products um in in a while, and now we're actually doing like three quite big and crucial things all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah. like it. Well, yeah. well uh, uh, can you uh, give us a little hint already about the business model, or is it uh, is it secret? Oh, um, yeah, not so much. It's coming out like this uh, at you know at the end of this week, so uh, it will be out soon. But the idea is that we've just switch the model we're still freemium and that won't really change what's happened mm-hmm. is that we kind of shifted and we've given the free users every single feature that is available in the pro model um, including the ability to add on collaborators including you know like premium downloads including i don't know like premium access to, to this or whatever that is used used to be locked in the editor for one like trade-off which is that um which actually has to do with uh downloads itself because we noticed that most people when they have found um like they could create as many you know visuals as they want but when they're done with it they would need to actually download that so we're actually capping um download so that we can you know as an organization continue to survive and we felt like that's going to be one very interesting change to just um see what's going to happen i think yeah from um from the whole freemium you know, perspective. And that's also backed based on the data and the usage that we were seeing. Um, yeah, so that that's like the, the little teaser of what's coming up. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're basically uh, charging in a different way. Is that, is that, is yeah. that going to affect uh, current revenue as well or is it only new revenue? Yeah, so it's going to affect current revenue because we don't, um, we can't grandfather such a thing. Like we can't keep two no. you know, separate businesses alive at the same time. So the only way, there is no grandfathering. So just for the existing customers and subscribers, they will have, um, you know, uh, additional benefits and et cetera, you know, if they kind of kept their subscription and, and all that. But uh, that was, yeah, that's something, like I said, you asked me what keeps me awake and that keeps me awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's, it sounds kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> 
What what is what is some of the the next organizational changes you're thinking of making? Like you you mentioned a lot of things earlier, but uh, yeah. getting meetings and and uh, taking away approvals and protecting yeah. focus time and uh, what are some of the things you're thinking about? Or maybe some recent stuff that was really successful at upping productivity and happiness in the company. Yeah, well, last year we did the bulk of the changes, you know, from going all remote. And, um, but I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll caveat this. We mainly still hire people from either Europe or Asia just because we want some overlap time. And these are the main, like two main time zones mm-hmm. uh, that we're from. So like that's uh, that's one. Um, but the uh, I, I think the other change was the whole folly we because of that we needed to, you know, we needed to eliminate and trim the fat so <laughs> as much as possible. And that kind of made us as a company a lot more disciplined. I, I don't even know what's next. Like it's probably a form of, you know, um, asynchronous work. Like when we, uh, the company is getting better at becoming asynchronous, but not totally you know, 100% like good at asynchronous. And I'll just say this is one of my, like my ultimate like inspiration for um, the future of work itself. I I read this article by Sahil Lavinia from um, from Gumroad. And he talked about the future of work or how he's already invented it, where everybody's on like part-time, they have zero meetings. Like I don't mean about elimination of meeting, but zero meetings. And he kind of said like, he's hired somebody and he hasn't even, spoken to them because everyone's on like a part-time you know payroll and there's like absolutely no meeting they communicate asynchronously they use a form of a I'm not sure project management tool in order for them to communicate like project updates and all that and I thought that concept was super interesting but I'm not saying it's something we're going to be doing because that's crazy like that's too big of a leap for us um, from till yeah till then so it's it's, what is it then basically about it's about keeping information in systems so that everybody can find it there and work together without needing meetings in between to communicate things or? Yeah, no, not just that. I mean, like he's, um, what he has ended up doing was he turned everybody in the company into part-time workers. You you, you need to read this article because it, it, when I, when it came out, I was like, that's life-changing. It's just that I, I don't know of how many more, but what it also essentially eliminates is, um, you know, when, everyone you're working with, like, it's like, you still ship stuff and all that, but you're not, um, you don't necessarily need to have like, you know, think about, well, my employee engagement or how is it doing? You know, are they recommending the, the place to work or whatever? You just, all of you are hired, like almost contractors to kind of ensure the success of the, the project and the team. So in that sense, I, I don't know if it's like completely people first, but I thought that the whole, you know, concept that he's going with is, yeah, definitely um, uh, a, a revolution, I think, in the, the way people think about like remote work that's beyond asynchronous. Like he's he's even eliminating full-time work altogether. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, what, what is it actually that, that, that in, in all of this gives you energy? Like what, uh, what, what keeps you going at building PictoChart? Yeah, I think it's um, it's all the three pillars uh, all together. So there's the purpose part, wanting to see, you know, like new products satisfy a market demand that previously wasn't met, uh, as well as people like I, you know, the average tenure at Pixel China are very happy sometimes when I think about this because um, I do have still people who are with us like for 10 years since the beginning of the company. Mm-hmm eight-year anniversaries, we have six-year anniversaries, we have four-year anniversaries, and tons of people have been 
in a company for a really long time. So um, after a while, it doesn't feel like I'm working with colleagues or employees. I feel like I'm working with friends because we've been, you know, doing this for so long. That gives me some energy. Um, uh, talking to customers always, you know, always, always does that. And then also trying to help the company innovate and see the next, um, yeah, the next phase of like growth, not rocket type of growth, but uh, yeah, that's, you know, that good pace, sustainable growth is always very exciting. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's about, it's about people and it's about building stuff and growing, if I understand it well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a question, perhaps uh, moving a bit uh, towards work-life balance. Like, if you work four days per week, uh, what what is the extra day you take off, or which days do you work? Yeah, the bulk of us take Fridays off, um, but the customer success and the salesperson they kind of go on a schedule that works for them. So some people do in the customer support team, they do Mondays to Thursdays and others do Tuesdays to Fridays um, in order okay. to make sure that we cover yeah, all five days. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you, you all work from home now or do you also have some kind of office or hub or? Uh, no, on. we don't have an office anymore, but we, we did tell the team this multiple times. We're like, look, it's a pandemic. It's not normal. Otherwise, Usually people like fly into HQ and Penang's a nice tropical island to be at um, twice a year. Uh, or we meet somewhere else, you know, within Southeast Asia. Um, mm-hmm. And we haven't been able to do that. So we told them that's going to come back, just that we have to ensure that like, it's safe for everybody again to travel. And um, the yeah, the other thing is just in terms of like hubs, we do have like coking um, space allowances and people can choose to meet up at coking spaces if they wanted to. And in the past, when the restrictions weren't quite as bad as currently, people do actually meet up. Uh, some people actually meet up in coding spaces. Yeah, got it. And and uh, and if you, well, working hour wise, do you have any fixed working hours, or do people just choose when they work? I mean, people are in different time zones, so I suppose the working hours are already yeah. defined by where they are. But yeah. Yeah. So we, we asked for the product people, especially, um, that, well, there's no way that anyway, we can tell whether a person's like working and, you know, or not, but in general, um, and that's also what I, you know, told the, the team and said to the team, uh, work is a lot more about outcome rather than output. So we don't actually look, you know, at what times, but it is however important to ensure that they have some amount of overlap. So if they're in the European time zones, we usually ask like, okay, if you, choose to take up this role, then know that, you know, there may be some meetings that are like 9 a.m. your time. So if you don't like that, then <laughs> probably not, you know, not um, the correct working environment for you. And same thing with Asia, like you've definitely got to cover at least 2 to 6 p.m. for if there were any discussions. Right. Um, yeah, or asynchronous chats or whatever. But uh, the yeah, the idea is no fixed timeline, but we do try to hire from this tool so at least people can still have some discussions and not feel totally alone if they're brainstorming or working on something. Yeah, so so meetings in Europe are from 9 a.m. in the morning and, and in yeah. Asia from until 6 yeah. p.m. Yeah, yeah. UK sometimes 8 a.m. <laughs> because they're <laughs> one yeah. hour behind, but <laughs> everybody else, it should usually start at about 9 a.m. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And... and um, are there any things you do personally to stay mentally and physically fit? Any habits that you entertain there? Yeah, I love taking walks. Um, 
I particularly, I really like taking walks. It's my way of like digesting information um, when I'm out in the nature and just, you know, walking. And then like, it's also a really good time to talk and yeah, unwind basically with my, um, with my husband and my daughter and my ever else, you know, within my um, family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not been able to do that very much because the restrictions here are pretty tight, but I, I do find my ways in order to sneak out and get some um, exercise time. The rest of it, uh, if I'm not walking, then I'm definitely at home doing some form of a home exercise that helps. I also currently am relearning the piano because I haven't played that in a while. Mm-hmm. And that has been very nice to get back to that. And apart from that, just spending time, I think, with my family that's uh, baking, cooking, and you know the rest of it just helps me basically to stay mentally and physically sane um, in these trying times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, perhaps about uh, about Penang because I've been and and you're living there. But for for the listeners who haven't been, a bit of uh, a travel promo because I don't think it's a an extremely uh, popular tourist location. Why should people visit Penang? Oh, I I don't know where to begin. I've been. I mean, I I was born here. I um, worked and lived outside for a while, and I traveled quite a bit. Um, I think Penang really has its own charms, although. I wouldn't say for the same charms that, um, you know, the the magazines and all that advertise it for. So Penang's usually advertised for two things. One is uh, the the kind of architecture because we have some very interesting mix of like cultures and it's it's really seen in its architecture. So that's like Georgetown. And then mm-hmm. where Taiwan is like one of the world's like most famous uh, street food uh what do you call that? Hunts. So basically that that's where you get the best like street foods. And I do agree. I, I do think that food is really, really good here. But I actually think what is underemphasized is just the fact that Penang really has some of and I've been in Malaysia, I've been, you know, and I've traveled like quite a number of places. And I think we do have one of the best weathers in the world. It's it can get a bit hot, but it's for a person who likes summer all year round, like it's not a problem. We have the beach, we have the hills, and we have the outdoors, and you know we also have a bit of modern. So like it's kind of a, a city that has a bit of everything for um for most people. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I like. And the other part about Penang is that it's not uh, ruined by you know an overly metropolitan like feel at all. It feels very preserved, and people here are extremely nice and friendly. Um, even for Malaysian, I'll say that I, I do think Penang is one of the like the friendlier uh, states in the country. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember that. The, the weather, I, I remember when we were there, it was a bit too warm for me. I was sort of uh, walking shadow yeah. to shadow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, people were very, very friendly. We had, some, we had a good time yeah. there. And, and, and yeah. maybe it was warm in the city. Um, mm-hmm. But if you exit the city, there's still a big part of the islands where it's uh, yeah. probably the asphalt has a lot less of a, uh, an effect on the on the temperature. Yeah, that's right. So I'm I'm doing a lot to like get as much you know of vitamin D from the sun and just enjoy you know the fact that there's so much of sun here compared to yeah. um, if we were yeah in Europe or you know um, not not the states actually in the states the sun's quite hot in California but um, yeah the idea is that we yeah I kind of feel like it has a balance of everything but I'm, I'm glad you had a good time in Penang because I yeah if we knew each other earlier I would have said I'll take you around <laughs> <laughs> thank you 
Well, actually, uh, are you guys uh, started by sort of isolated there or are there other cool startups there as well? No, so Penang doesn't really have a lot. Even in Malaysia itself, we get asked this a lot. Like, why did you not move to KL or Singapore or somewhere else? But the reason mm -hmm. was because, like, um, you know, I I still felt that it wasn't impossible to hire. I actually, we managed to get a couple of people to relocate from different countries in the world, <laughs> like to, you know, to be in Penang because it has its own charms. And for the right person, it may actually work out. So um, we hired a number of expats here in Penang um, and we didn't compete with the rest of, you know, Malaysia for talent, which was great. Uh, and yeah, but I, I didn't really see a need. And now that we're completely remote, it makes even less sense for us to be moving anywhere because sure. no office address at all. Yeah. It also made the, the remote switch a bit more logical, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, slowly wrapping up um, towards, towards some learnings. Uh, what is the, the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it exactly? Yeah, um, one of the books that, I, it wasn't the latest book that I read, but I felt like it left a very big impact on us because of the whole four-day work week. Um, and while it was doing it, they recommended the same book, um, which was on deep work, because I, I was facing so much of internal resistance. Sorry, it's by Cal Newport. He's, um, he's a researcher. And um, he was talking about how human minds are like, you know, like they're like a gym. And again, because of all this like psychology stuff, maybe I like got into it a bit more, but they were saying like a normal untrained mind can only do deep work about an hour. It's like a gym, you know, you can only plank mm -hmm. in the, as a beginner, you can do 30 seconds and then you do more and then you can get up maybe to 10 minutes, but that's going to take you a lot of training, right? So it's the same thing with deep work and um, as a software company, a lot of the work is deep work. You don't actually want your people to be doing, you know, meetings and shallow work and like jumping one from another. So um, he was saying it's only one hour and a trained person can do this sustainably for life, um, probably at about four hours. And these, he was quoting people like Adam Grant, um, and who was a fellow researcher uh, of his and learning and everything from him. And uh, he quoted several other people and the whole research behind it. And I thought, that really, really made sense. And it helped to actually um, make a very compelling case for us to move into the four-day work week because the, the thing was that internally people were struggling and they kept saying, how am I going to fit in all of my work into 80%? And that was when like, you know, like we brought up all this whole um, talking points and saying, well, actually out of your 40 hours, you know, like how much of it was actually producing outcome versus output, you know, the things that you are doing in order to be seen working or like they're just output, you know, and could we have mm -hmm. outsourced that? Could we have delegated that? Could we have, you know, done something in order to automate that process? And when those questions came up, people started realizing that, yeah, my actual deep work is only this much of hours in a week. Um, I cannot go beyond that because I would, you know, totally kind of go crazy. So um, I felt like this whole four-day work week was almost a productivity challenge for all of us. I also realize this now, I can get so much done so much more done in if you give me eight hours of like you know uh undisturbed uh, an undisturbed day and that's that's amazing i i know that i've totally gotten more productive i, I can't say the same for everyone but um I, like it all became a massive like productivity experiment for the whole uh organization yeah, yeah so this Thanks. is this is deep deep work by cal newport right that's right that's right yeah nice i put it on my uh to read list yeah <laughs> it, it wasn't on there yet so yeah is there is there actually like you were sort of thrown into uh 
into picto chart in a way you could say um is there anything you wish you would have known when you started out that maybe if you would start over now you would do differently yeah there there are obviously a lot of things that i would have chosen to do differently um one i really think i i sounds kind of like cheesy but i would have chosen to doubt myself a lot less um the reason why i say that is because we don't have like investors or you know people chasing on our backs and because of that the council is yes i may have a couple of mentors and you know helping me but a lot of the decisions were made internally and sometimes i was like I have a really bad gut feeling about this thing, but I just chose to, oh, well, you know, the company is kind of democratic, let's go with it. And uh, I felt that that kind of killed us. Well, not killed us, obviously we're still around, but that slowed us down a lot um, because of the hesitation. I just wish I didn't have as much self-doubt and carried on. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in terms of advice, uh, maybe any... Last words you have, any best piece of advice you ever got that you could share with others? Yeah, the, the best piece of advice um, that I got, it's a pretty easy answer, but then the the best advice I can give, I, I don't know what that is yet, so I'll go with the, the best it, piece of advice I got, which was um, we were raising funds and this was back in 2014. Uh, we got term sheets and we're about to, I, I won't say sign it, but like, you know, we had options and we were almost there. And then, uh, it was in one of these events I met a, a guy who was, um, he was an angel investor himself, kind of interested. And he kind of asked me like, how much money do you have in the bank? I said, this much. And then he was like, how much are you raising again? And I said, this much. And then he was like, so why aren't you using the money in your bank? Reinvest it into your company. And when you need even more capital to grow, then, you know, come and like, come and raise at a better valuation, but you have actually exhausted, you know, what you have um, in the bank. And I was like, why didn't anybody tell me this? <laughs> um, so we we actually took his advice. We I we didn't manage to use it up because I'm still quite prudent, but we did pump it a lot more into marketing back then. Um, and yeah. you know, and the company grew actually, and it grew quite well. Like as a result of that, and we didn't. And after we came out of that whole phase, you know, the I don't know what need we had anymore to like keep raising, and it wasn't. Um, our ambition from day one has never to try to become like a Goliath almost in the um, in the industry. So then we're like, actually, this works and we then can, you know, maintain the whole people first and, you know, building sustainably and building products when we like it or whatever we like. If um, and, and if we were backed by investors, that may not have always been the case. Um, so then I think that one advice actually changed the trajectory of the company entirely. Otherwise, we would have gone definitely on the whole mouse wheel and you know raise more capital and more capital and more capital uh yeah yeah that that, that definitely turned out to be great advice it seems <laughs> thank you again ching for being on founder coffee uh it's really a, a pleasure to have you yeah you're thank you so much for having me thanks for all of the you know thoughtful questions and speak soon that's it for this episode of founder coffee we hope you liked it let the world know if you did thanks for listening guys